Welcome to the number one podcast covering Michigan State basketball. The Final Four is not in the schedule. Join Rod and me, Eric, as we dive deep into the Spartans to get you prepared for every game. Subscribe today for in-depth recruiting updates and fantastic interviews with today's important college basketball personalities like Robbie Hummel. Thanks for having me. I, uh, I have listened to your guys' podcasts numerous times on drives throughout any Midwestern Big Ten city, so I, I am a big fan of your guys' work. Jay Billis. And next time, hey, if anybody in Michigan wants a December tea time, call me. You wimps won't show up, but I'll I'll be there. I'll be there and play in the cold. And Izzo will be in front of the fire with hot chocolate. Coaches Thomas Kelly. Oh, no problem. Glad to be back, man. Glad to be back. Mike Garland. You just can't sit there and trade twos for threes. You can't do it. You're going to lose. Coming down the stretch, you're going to lose. And more. You won't find better coverage of Spartan Hoops than you will get here. For both the casual and hardcore fan, come along as we take you for a green and white ride. Hey everybody, it's Eric alongside Rod here to preview MSU's upcoming matchup against the Arizona Wildcats on Thanksgiving Day in Palm Springs for the AccraSure Classic. It's Thanksgiving season, so if you're in the giving spirit and appreciate us, please consider supporting the show either via a one-time gift on PayPal or Venmo or on a recurring basis through Patreon or Substack. Links can be found at tffinots.com support. Your support in growing this community is extremely helpful to the show. All right, Rod, let's talk about the Arizona Wildcats. Uh, definitely the second most challenging uh, game in the schedule so far to date for Michigan State since Tennessee was an exhibition game. Uh, they face, obviously, like I mentioned, on Thursday right after the Lions game. So hopefully after a Lions win, we're going to 9-2 and two for the season, beating the sweeping the Packers for two years in a row. That'd be kind of hard to believe. Um, the Wildcats come into the game with a 5-0 and record. Uh, obviously, their most impressive win was the game right before uh, the Champions Classic where they defeated Duke at Cameron Arena. Uh, they won it by five there. Tommy Lloyd's in his third season at the helm. He's only taken 11 losses so far in his career. And this team is looking really good, like a possible contender for a national championship. And for reasons for that, this season, I mean, they look dominant both sides of the court. They're good on offense, number seven. Good on defense, number seven in Ken Palm. Uh, and offense, uh, the only thing they don't do well is uh, they turn the ball over quite a bit, but... They've shot well from three at over 40% and two at nearly 60%. Uh, good offensive rebounding team at number six in percentage and are hitting about 77% of their free throws. They also play fast, which is a little bit changed for Michigan State uh, from what their opponents. Uh, they're the seventh quickest team in the country in offensive possession length. And on defense, they're really good aggressively uh, getting steals. They're number 47 in steal rate but also don't give up too much in twos, as I mentioned before, since they're number seven defensively. Uh, part of that is because they have a high block rate of their number 50th in the country in block percentage. And the only thing they don't do well, I guess, is defend the three, which we've talked about that many times in the past, that it's sometimes less a reflection of your defense than it is just you know good or bad luck. Uh, and also, finally, they're a really good defensive rebounding team uh, at number six, which is something that State's done better but certainly not even close to elite levels for offensive rebounding. Yeah, look, this is this looks to be a very good team, but wait, here's the the one caveat and and it's a mild one, but I'm going to offer it anyway. They're 5 and 0. Oh. The only real team that they've played is Duke. Right. Now that's the best win anybody has in college basketball so far. To go into Cameron and beat Duke nobody's and and that's not unusual because there aren't a lot of true road games against 
elite opposition this early. But that's the best one in the country thus far. So that's impressive. But it is worth keeping in mind that some of the statistical profile that we just talked about has been built up against poor opponents. Right. Now, on the flip to cut the other direction, play devil's advocate, when you're playing bad teams, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to drill yeah. them. And Arizona has absolutely <laughs> drilled them. You know, there's there's no doubt about that. So I'm I'm not hesitant in the least to praise this team. I think I think Arizona they were expected to be good. They were generally on the fringes of the top 10 in the preseason. And I think in the early going, they've played better than that. So that's, that's the picture here. You know, there's only a couple of weaknesses that pop out from an otherwise really, if you, those of you who read Ken Palm know that, and I've mentioned this before, positive categories are in green middling ones don't really have a shade and bad ones are various shades of red. <laughs> Their profile is a ton of green. The two reds are the turnover percentage, which is not the worst in the world. They're bordering on being, I think they're 196, something like that. So it's not, it's not great certainly, but it's not an abject disaster. And then three point percentage against, which actually is pretty bad. But as you mentioned, that is in part a luck stat. You know, generally accepted principle is that what you can control to an extent defensively is the number of attempts you give up. Even that is debatable, but that's a more considered a more controllable element than the percentage you give up. Because sometimes teams can just hit bad shots against mm -hmm. you. Yeah. Um, so far, that's those have been their two vulnerabilities. What is of real concern, I think, the most concerning thing to me of everything uh, in terms of their profile relative to Michigan State is that they have just pounded the glass. And that's what they did to Duke. They kind of, in general, their physicality really won them that game against Duke. It was in part reflected on the boards, but it also showed up defensively in a lot of ways that that popped up. Um, whether Michigan state is ready to combat that is going to be at the level they need to be is going to be a very interesting thing to watch for. Maybe, maybe the most important thing. I don't mm -hmm. know. Um, you know, they, they're shooting extremely well. All they're doing a great job limiting other people from shooting well inside, at least inside the arc. Um, but to me, it's just generally, this is going to be a man's game and is Michigan state ready to play it. But what's funny is normally you think that what we're prone to think about is, Oh, you're playing, you know, Gene Katie Purdue or <laughs> Bo Ryan, Wisconsin. Those are the games where you, you think about physicality, right? These guys play fast. They want to play fast. So, it's more like, and, and they don't play this way. I don't mean to take comparison too far, but it's more like the way I used to think about teams like UNLV or Arkansas that played really fast, but were also, they, they took a physical toll on mm -hmm. as well. That's more akin to what Arizona is. They're a very physical team, an athletically gifted team, and team with a lot of size. 
but they're not slow. Yeah, and looking at, I mean, just kind of looking at the box score from the game against Duke, because like you said, that's their one you know high-level opponent, certainly a common opponent, and by transit of properties, Michigan State has no chance <laughs> since they lost to Duke, which beat Arizona. Yeah, yeah, but, um, right. You know, they didn't shoot the lights out. They shot 46% from the field. They were 35% from three, uh, 68%, 67% from the line. But offensive rebounding rate was impressive. 15 offensive rebounds in 35 yeah. misses. Not quite 50%, but that's like yeah. got to be 40-some percent yep. without getting my calculator yep. out. And they're doing that right. They're doing that regularly. But to do it against Duke, as you say now, now Michigan State did some things on the offensive boards against Duke as well. So that's right. a vulnerability for Duke. But still, you put up that kind of number against any high major, you're doing a yeah. job. And, and then on the other flip side, defensively, uh, the rebounding was very good. I mean, Duke had eight offensive rebounds and 37 misses. So that's less than 25%. So, uh, you know, clearly, like, as you said at the outset, this is a really good uh, team on the glass. They're They're big. And they're well coached, clearly. I, and I don't remember even remember what happened to them in the NCAA tournament. I, I think they, I don't think they went that far, but early loss, yeah. early loss. Yeah, but, you know. Yeah, happens. they haven't yet. That's the one thing. That's I'm glad you brought it up because it's worth talking about Tommy Lloyd. I don't know how much our listeners are really dialed into Arizona. It's it can be hard to see them play a lot because they're in the Pac-12. Um, but Tommy Lloyd just in case we've got a few listeners who don't know the background, he was the longtime lead assistant for Mark Few at Gonzaga. And when you look at this Arizona team, they look a little bit like Gonzaga. Tommy Lloyd was the ace foreign recruiter. So if you think about all those guys from Canada or from Europe that Gonzaga had over the years, Tommy Lloyd was the guy. He was the guy with those contacts. He was the guy who brought those those players in. You look at this roster, it's not entirely that, but it's I think there are maybe four guys in their top 10 or five that are foreign-born mm-hmm. players. So he's playing from the same template. He, you mentioned at the outset, in two-plus years, he's taken a grand total of 11 losses. Um, Tom Izzo took 13 last year. Yeah. So that tells you now, granted, the Pac-12 has not been the league the Big Ten has been. It's been a weak league overall. So that helps a little bit with that record. But make no mistake, this is a guy who's in his first head coaching job has just gone in and done as as good a job as I think anybody could have imagined. Arizona absolutely 100 percent got it right with this hire. And, you know, and now they've got a guy who I imagine, because he's not that old. I'm not sure how old he is, but he I don't young. think he's. got to be 40s, mid Yeah, 40s, I don't think maybe. he's. At, yeah. Uh, yeah, might be a tick older than that. I don't think he's in his 50s. So Arizona has to look at this and think, hey, we could have this guy, you know, for a 15 year run, yeah. maybe. I don't know whether he has pro aspirations or not, but um regardless you know you're not going to lose him to another job most likely and uh and it's just it's a really great place to be when you get it right it kind of feels like you know the way i felt about michigan state say around 1999 Mm -hmm. you know he looked (laughs) at this guy in his 40s and he thought well there doesn't seem to be any reason this program's going to take a severe downtick anytime soon and that's that's kind of you know, in Arizona, 
it's funny. This was a school that had very little basketball tradition. And then they went and they, they, they hired Lou Olson away from Iowa. And that kicked them into a long period of Pac-10 and national relevance under him. And then their next coach, after a brief interlude, was Sean Miller, who I guess people would say disappointed a little in that his teams were always highly rated and he never got to a Final Four. But they did a lot of winning. You can't argue that Arizona wasn't nationally relevant during his period there. And then they lose him and they hire this guy. None of those coaches were from each other's trees. So it's yeah. not like Sean Miller had been an assistant under Lou Olson. It's not like Tommy Lloyd had any relation to Sean Miller. They just that's a hard thing to do. Because although Arizona is there's enough winning under their belts historically now that you would consider them an elite program in historical terms, certainly a top fifteen program, I think all time they're not kansas they're not carolina where you think well you know or kentucky where you think hey listen if this job were to come open and there wasn't an anointed successor you know a heavy percentage of the coaches in the country are going to be interested in it they're not quite that level so to get it right three times in a row more or less is it's impressive and as i say this guy it, I, the thing is, I what I like about him more than Sean Miller, Sean Miller's a very good coach, but this is something I talked about a couple times when MSU, well, one time in particular, I remember MSU playing his team. Um, I think it was the first game that the 2016 recruiting class played, Miles and Cassius and those guys. And I think people looked at all the NBA talent that Sean Miller had at Arizona and they assumed, if they didn't watch him very much, they assumed that all oh, these guys have athletes, you know, they go up and down the floor. That's not how Arizona played. They were very much a slow-paced, defense-oriented team. Tommy Lloyd seems to encourage a, an entertaining, fun brand of basketball. So I think that's going to help him as well uh, in, in keeping this thing going because I think kids want to play that kind of style, you know. Yeah. Well, I admit I, I'm not very familiar with the Arizona basketball. I didn't remember who was there before Lute Olson, and that's, I mean, clearly no one of note. <laughs> Fred, I know one guy was Fred Snowden, if I remember correctly, who was a Detroit guy in the 70s. Uh, but I can't, I can't tell you a lot about it other than I know Arizona was not considered. And, and you got to remember, Arizona wasn't always in the Pac-8 or Pac-10. They got added to that conference they in Arizona State, uh, maybe in the sixties or seventies. Made it to ten, I think. Yeah, uh, I, I, or, or made it into eight. Yeah, um, yeah, maybe they made it. They were the additions to make it ten. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that could yeah. be. Okay. So, but they were kind of late additions. They so it's not a school that had this kind of powerhouse tradition. But now you look at them, and we're we're talking about, you know, better than a pretty much closing in on a 45 year run. It doesn't look to stop anytime soon. So you got to put them up there. Yeah, for sure. When you think about the pac 12, you think of good basketball, you thought you've obviously first is UCLA and then second is probably Arizona, you know? And so that, and that's yes, been the case for quite for a sure. while. For sure. They become that they, they became 
the second best program historically in that league. Yeah, and they're probably and they're at the point now where I think you know Michigan State is not quite there, but at some point might be where you just you just can't imagine not being them not being one of the dominant teams, right? So Well, the the advantage the advantage that Arizona has is what I mentioned. They've gotten it right three times in a row. Michigan State's very lucky that they haven't had to go to the well that often. Exactly. You know, but the next one will tell part of that story. And for those curious, uh, Tommy Lloyd turns 49 this December. So he's 48 right now. Okay. For those curious. So we're pretty close. Still. Young guy. You're thinking, you're looking at that, you're thinking... 10, 15 year round. Absolutely. As long as he doesn't want to go to yeah, the pros. Right. And that's, a, that's always a caveat. That's right. That's the, always a possibility, but uh, all right. Why don't we start talking about the players for the, for the Arizona Wildcats? Uh, this segment is brought to you by the brothers at just do gutters. If you're feeling in the gutter, you've got some problems with leaky roof or problems with a uh, leaky gutters, I should say, or water pulling up by the side of your house. Maybe your sidewalks getting ruined. You've got trees growing your gutters, all kinds of problems. The Brothers Adjusted Gutters are the ones who can solve your woes. You give them a call at brothersgutters.com. You can find the contact information below. Kurt and his team in the west side, uh, the Grand Rapids metro area, or Greg and his team in the metro Detroit area, they can take care of things. Whether it's just replacing, repairing, or just cleaning things out, they can do whatever it takes. Maybe put some leaf guards in so you don't have to get on your ladder all the time in the spring and the fall to clean out those gutters, which is a miserable job because it's always cold and wet uh, and then you're on a ladder. So if you want to avoid all those problems, they can take care of residential and commercial properties. Whatever you need, they'll take care of it. And that, since that's all they do, they are really good at the job. So you can contact brothersgutters.com and you find out more information on the podcast player below or on our episode web uh, webpage, which can be found at the final force on the schedule.com. And then they feature this, the player that needs to be kept in the gutter. And so Rod will tell us when we get to the player that Michigan State needs to keep in the gutter to contain this game. So we'll start with Kylan Boswell, 6'2 sophomore, uh, leading Arizona with 13.8 points a game. He's hitting 65, 68, and 100 to start the season. Uh, also has four assists per game with a 2-to-1 assist-to-turnover ratio. Leads the team in steals with eight and averages four rebounds a game, he, which is very impressive as a sophomore because last year he was only playing 15 minutes a game. So he's definitely taken off his sophomore year. He's taken a huge step up. He's gone from being, you know, a guy that was highly regarded. And so it was no surprise he was in their rotation and, you know, was a contributor, but not, it wasn't a situation where you looked at it and said, well, this guy's an automatic star. And in fact, they didn't recruit as if they believed that was a fait accompli. You know, they went out and added two transfers in the portal to their backcourt this year, high profile guys, Caleb love and Jalen Bradley. Mm -hmm. And so, and they were adding, they added a freshman as well. So it wasn't a done deal. He is our, my pick to keep in the gutter (laughs) though. (laughs) A guy that's shooting 60% plus overall from three. What else can you say? (laughs) Right. You, you, you have to not, he's not going to sustain that. We know that, but clearly he has taken a major league step up. And I think you look at him and that's what you hope to see next year. If you're Michigan state from guys like Jeremy fears and Trey Holloman, right? Where mm-hmm. they go from, 
important parts of your team, but not starters, not the main guys to players that you put into a major role and they just excel. That's what he's done. And he's doing everything for six, two guy. He's rebounding. Well, he's one of their better playmakers and obviously he's leading them in scoring and he's a defensive presence. So a lot to like, not much to dislike with Boswell. Yeah. Clearly someone who's gonna be a problem. Uh, next starter, Pelly Larson, 6'5", senior, averaging 11.4 points a game on 57, 50, and 95 shooting and pulls down about four boards a game. Yeah, and he's in his third year in the program. He was one of those foreign additions uh, a couple years ago uh, when Lloyd first got the job that came in. As his name might suggest, he's from Sweden. Swedish. And... You know, the interesting thing is, I think when they first got him, he looked like a guy that was, I remember this from two years ago, looked very impressive. And I thought, boy, this guy could really be a star. And he hasn't quite broken through to that level. I think he's better the way that they're playing him now, where he's not primarily on the ball. They they asked him to do a lot more in terms of playmaking two years ago. Um, now he kind of plays a little bit different role, but, um, very effective. I mean, again, another guy, you can't complain about the shooting start he's had and he's got good size. He could do a number of different things to help, but, um, yeah, another good player and a veteran, somebody who's been around. Not a place you think of when you think of international basketball stars coming from Sweden. I can't think of many who are, um, you know, their national team's not one, yeah. that out, but you think with the you think with the size the size and height of that country in general that there'd be more players, but maybe they're doing other things. There are some. There, are, you know, every once in a while, I'm trying to think if Uwe Blop, who played at Indiana and played in the NBA, was um, was Swedish. I think he may have been Michigan State. I'll tell you this: we'll bring it to Michigan State history, and I may have mentioned this on the podcast before. In 1977, Magic's freshman year. There were three recruits that anybody who goes back that far remembers who were part of that class. Obviously, Irvin Johnson and Jay Vincent, two of the all-time great Michigan State players. And then Mike Berkovich, who was a three-year starter and a very good player in his own right. But there was a fourth guy in that class who not a lot of people remember. And it was a guy named Sten Feldreich. Sten Feldreich was a seven-footer who actually started a number of games his freshman year. Hmm. And was someone they thought was going to be a real player at Michigan State. And then after the season, he decided to go home. He just, uh, it was homesickness. I remember reading something about it. I believe he became a doctor after a, um, after a career where he played for the Swedish national team for a while. Um, but he was kind of, I always think of him as one of the great what-ifs in Michigan State basketball history. Uh, along with a guy like Erasm Lorbeck, who probably a lot more of our listeners remember. But um, Sten Feldreich was definitely a guy in that category. So every once in a while, Sweden produces players. But Certainly not as anyway. much as like Lithuania, which is just is way more for some reason, even though it's a smaller country. Well, Lithuania is, if people don't know, Lithuania, when it was part of the Soviet Union, really had a disproportionate role in supplying players for the Soviet national team. It is, it's a small Baltic country that loves basketball. And 
they continue to produce great basketball players. I mean, it has not slowed down. <laughs> There's even a couple on this team. Yeah, we'll get to which those. We'll get, yeah, we'll get to those in a little bit. <laughs> um, but yeah, you're right. That is that is the country in, we'll say, northern Europe that by far produces. You know, it punches above yeah. its weight. It, it is interesting know? how those that happens in the country right next to it, Latvia. You know, has just is totally different. But culturally, you think they wouldn't be that different? Yeah, yeah they are for sure. Yep. Uh, next, yep. we'll talk about Caleb Love. You mentioned before, six uh, four senior transfer from North Carolina, uh, also via University of Michigan. Although he never landed in an Arbor, I guess, uh, averaging twelve point four points a game and four point two rebounds a game, and leads the team with five assists per game, with just a little under two turnovers a game. So a good ratio. Shooting forty one twenty nine eighty two. So shooting was always his problem back in um, at North Carolina. That and destroying locker rooms it seemed to be his specialty. So. Uh, but he seems to be doing well here so far. If this works out, you really have to hand it to Tommy Lloyd because I don't think it was any kind of automatic that it would. I was delighted when he originally <laughs> indicated a desire to go to Michigan because you're right. He basically, North Carolina was thrilled to see him go. And that's rare to say about a guy that was a McDonald's All-American actually was a key factor on a team that went to the national title game, Mm -hmm. you know, two years before. Yeah. This is a guy who did, has done some things in his career, but it's always come at a price. And, and I think the biggest problem had been just the way that he played. He played the game for a ball dominant guard. He played the game a little more selfishly than you would have liked thus far. It seems to be working at Arizona. Um, he's still not an efficient shooter. You know, the three-point shot consistency, I don't. I think it's safe to say it's just never going to be part of the equation for Caleb Love. Mm-hmm. You know, he's just not going to be a consistent jump shooter. But he's just good enough and just streaky enough that you always, in any game he's in, you have to worry that he could go four for five. Right. Because he's done it. He doesn't do it a lot, but he'll do it. Um, I think the bigger thing is he's doing a much, much better job sharing in uh, playmaking responsibilities. You look at the assist to turnover ratio, and it's outstanding. I mean, he's he's flirting with a three-to-one yeah. ratio. He's right on the line. And so it's it's impressive what he's done thus far in that regard. And I think he's been improved defensively in the past. You know, he's always had the, I I saw this kid. I've seen this kid going back a long way. I saw him play at AAU. He played for uh, Brad Beal's team. And I remember watching him against former Michigan state commit Jalen Terry and the family in a game where he just completely destroyed them. He just took the game over physically um, and, and that's always, but he's always looked the part of a superstar, but the shooting stuff has never quite been there to the point that you would like to see it. Uh, but everything else, it seems thus far has come together nicely. So, so, so far, Tommy Lloyd seems to be winning this gamble. And if it, boy, if it pays off, I mean, adding a guy like that, not only has it given you a player who knows what it's like to play in high stakes games 
has has been close to the mountaintop, but it's just lengthened their bench even more. They are such a deep team. Which is weird because you look at that Duke uh, box score and they only played eight. <laughs> but I guess, I guess they can right. More if they need but to. they can. Go, I think they can go deeper. Than yeah. That. I don't know that they always will, but they can. So then we'll go to six seven two hundred ten pound senior transfer from San Diego State, Keyshad Johnson. Uh, he also is part of San Diego State's run last year to the Final Four. He's averaging thirteen point four points a game and a team high of 6.4 rebounds a game on 54, 27, and 77 shooting. Also leads the team, or at least tied for leading team, with six blocks this year. Another great addition. You know, this is the thing i got to say about Tommy Lloyd, because he's also been active in the portal since he's been there, but what are the guys he brought in? Caleb Love, yeah, question marks, but he's been to a Final Four. Johnson has been to a Final Four. Mm -hmm. One of their kids on the bench, Bradley, didn't go to a Final Four last year, but he started about a, a third of the time for Alabama, who was the number one overall seed, won the SEC. You know, a lot of times, high major teams, let's say, that are trying to get better at the highest level of sport, they're adding guys who have been productive at schools that, either didn't do enough winning or just aren't at that level, you know, mid-majors that are transferring up, sure. right? Yeah. Tommy Lloyd has added three guys to this team, and all three of them very much know what it's like to win. And that's a that's a pretty important distinction. And I think, and look, he's like, you know, not everybody can get those guys, even if you want them. <laughs> but I think it's impressive that he's gone about it. This this was, as opposed to the Caleb Love edition, which was questioned by many, adding Johnson was pretty much universally hailed as a really smart move. And it's looking that way. His All his counting numbers are up from last season at San Diego State. At San Diego State, he was very much part of a collective. That San Diego State team, if you remember, didn't really have uh, one or two guys that sort of jumped out. It was a bunch of guys that all contributed yeah. to their success. But he was, especially in the tournament run, he was obvious. He popped. It, he's gone to a completely different way of playing. San Diego State under uh, Brian Dutcher plays very much a physical, defense-oriented, slug-it-out style of basketball. Arizona is physical, but they want to play fast. And Johnson's thriving. I think might have been part of the decision for him to transfer is he wanted to play someplace where he'd be asked and allowed to do more things offensively and maybe play in a quicker, a quicker environment. And he's thriving. Yeah, good. for So another great addition. Good for him. Maybe not good for state. We'll see. Uh, finally, to round up the five is Omar Balo, seven foot, 260 pound senior, uh, who is not getting quite as many minutes as last year. He's averaging 12.4 points a game and 5.6 rebounds a game shooting 65% from the floor. He's not a good free throw shooter at only 43%. Um, so that's the, the big negative for him this season. He's, if you've seen him play, he's a load. <laughs> yeah. I mean, physically, this this kid is big. Is he like Shebway big, do you think? And, you know, kind of a... Who? Like Shebway from last year from Kentucky. Oh, 
bigger than that. Yeah. Bigger than that because he's taller. Well, right, yeah. Um, he's like a ba- he's like the kind of guy you look at and you think baby Shaq. <laughs> That's kind of uh, you know not as big as Shaq, but but that he reminds you yeah. of that. He's a guy who started his career out at Gonzaga. Lloyd brought him to Arizona with him because I guess he felt like if you remember the situation he would have been in as a sophomore if he had stayed there would have been behind Drew Timmy and Chet Holmgren. So you can understand why he looked to make the move. And it's interesting. He's still starting, but his minutes are considerably reduced. He's playing about five or six minutes less per game because there's just more depth Mm -hmm. on this team. But he's still being very efficient, still productive. Free throw line is the knock. And that's always a concern when you have a guy like him that you know is going to get fouled. Um so they'd like to see him you know, last season. I think he was at uh, in the mid fifties, which is still a problem, but it's a lot better than 42. So they'd like to see that improve a little bit. So let's move into the reserves. We'll start with Matijas Krivas, 7'2", 260 pound freshman from Lithuania. And uh, it's part of the reason why Balo's not playing as many minutes because he's averaging 12 points a game and 5.8 yeah. rebounds a game, leading the team with six blocks while only playing 17 minutes uh, shooting well from the floor at 58% and then a good 75% clip at the line. Yeah. The, the difference here is this guy hits his free throws, <laughs> but it's a, look, it's a problem that every team that faces Arizona is going to have to deal with that. They've got a one, two punch and they kind of had this last year. They had some big guys from that team that they lost. And then Ballo, of course came back, but this is something that, you know, in Georgetown, or Georgetown, Gonzaga, always tended to have that too Mm -hmm. where they've emphasized big men uh over the years and having multiple big men and that clearly is the playbook tommy lloyd is following to have this kind of one-two punch where you've got one guy who i just described as like a baby shack and then the guy behind him is bigger (laughs) it's it's tough michigan state's post players are gonna have their work cut out for them so next would be kj lewis six four Freshman guard, averaging 6.8 points a game, uh, 4.4 rebounds a game, and a 3.5 to 1 assist to turnover ratio while shooting 70, 50, and 80 as a freshman. Yeah. Hot start. Kind of not huge volume yet, but, you know, they expected him to be able to contribute as a freshman, and he's doing it. And this is a guy, another guy who might have been in line to be a starter had Caleb Love not come on board. But um, you see the impact that has. Now you're talking about a freshman not having to start. Kind of analogous to Michigan State. If Tyson Walker and Jay Nakins had not come back, you know, we'd be seeing um, Jeremy Fears in an even bigger role and have a, would have a lot more pressure on him. Yeah. You know, it's a luxury when you don't have to bring guys along that fast and throw so much onto them. Instead, you could say, look, play 15, 16, 17 minutes a night. You're part of it. You're getting your feet wet. You're learning, but it's not all on your shoulders. And that's the situation Arizona's got with Lewis. It's a good place to be. And then we'll go with our third freshman, Paulius Morauskas, a 6'8", 230-pound freshman from Lithuania. He's averaging 6.3 points a game and 4.3 rebounds a game on 41-67 and 25 shooting in 13 minutes a game. Euro, Euro style 
power forward, you yeah. know, uh, the shooting and not that, not that I expect 67% three point <laughs> shooting to keep up, but you see the skill set is exhibited there. Um, you had mentioned they only played eight guys against Duke. He's one of the two guys we're going to mention the rest of the way here that I think is dubious as to whether we'll see him because he didn't play against Duke. Yeah. He's played in the other games, but obviously another talented kid with good size that, um, that nonetheless has skills as well, face up skills. And, you know, uh, another guy who's a potential problem. Not a bad guy to have in your back pocket. Moving on to Jaden Bradley, six foot three sophomore transferred from Alabama. You'd mentioned earlier, he's started 22 games in, uh, with the Crimson Tide last year and doesn't play as much here in Arizona. He's averaging 5.8 points a game on 40, 50 and 50 shooting in with 19 minutes a game. So I guess the first question is why do you leave Alabama? And then, you know, his game would be the second question. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure what the motivation was, but I can say this. I think I know he made his decision before he, he got there before Caleb Love did. And I would imagine he thought he was walking into a, a starting situation, oh, yeah. and now he's not. He's still playing a lot. 19 minutes is nothing to sneeze at, you know. But, um, it, again, it's if there are problems, credit to Tommy Lloyd, because you look at a couple of these situations and, you, you know, Ballow sees his minutes go down. You got Bradley, who probably assumed he was walking into a starting role, and, you know, then he finds out he's, he's not. Um, there's a couple of these situations where you could see it getting touchy, but there seems to be no indication that that's happening, at least not yet. Um, but having a guy like Bradley as a sophomore who had played so much important basketball for a team that won a lot as a freshman, um, and now he's coming off your bench, that's a that's a big deal. That's why I say this team's depth is legit. You know, we talk about, Michigan State having great backcourt depth with with Fears and Holloman, and they do. But neither of those guys has as much under their belts as Bradley has. Yeah. Yeah. And Oates has a little bit of a reputation as someone who will recruit over you is from a, through the transfer portal too, right? So I wonder if that was maybe a little bit goes into decision as it well. It might have been it. It it, it it might have been it. I don't I don't recall what the timing of all of that was. My sense is it was a surprise. Um, but you're right. He's, he's never shown any hesitation, uh, since the portal has become what it is to just go out and start stockpiling guys and figure, you know, let God sort them out. (laughs) And that might've been, that might've been part of what happened with Bradley. I don't know. Yeah. All right. Finally, we'll round things out with Philip Borovichkin, 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 6'8", 230 pounds sophomore from Serbia averaging 5.3 points a game and four rebounds a game in about 11 minutes. He shoot, he's shooting 41, yeah, 0, and 100. So unlikely to see him is my guess. Right. And he's played in every other game but Duke. Yeah. Um, he's a sophomore, so he was in the program last year. Uh, but, yeah, I would think he's definitely out of the 10. He's the least likely to play, but you can't rule it out. Well, and certainly just looking at this lineup, I mean, you have three freshmen, well, I should say in the roster, which is unusual for what we've been looking at when you look at these other mid-major teams that Michigan State's been facing. Mm-hmm. There, You don't see that level of freshmen appearing <laughs> from, and uh, I guess two of them are 
foreign, but still, uh, we don't see a lot of that, which is just, you know, to the whole point with the COVID and the, the transfer portal and how things have sort of changed in the game, at least initially. I really, and I think I like the way Tommy Lloyd is going about this because He's, he's pulling from a number of different threads. Yeah, he uses the portal, but he's getting portal guys that you can at least, and again, Caleb Love was a big risk. The other two I don't think were. Mm-hmm. But he's getting guys who have experience at winning at the highest levels. So that's smart. Um, he's He's hitting the foreign thing, but he's also able to recruit U.S. born players, you know, there's a mix. Mm-hmm. He's adding portal guys, but yet he's still got guys who are developmental players in his program. You know, Boswell, a guy who was a freshman last year, played a role but wasn't wasn't a focal point, and now as a sophomore, he's ready to step up in class. You know, it's a nice mix of different approaches. They're not they're not any one thing. And that's kind of the way Gonzaga has been, if you think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, his time at Gonzaga, the portal wasn't wasn't what it's become. But even before that, Gonzaga was a program that used the used transfers. They would get transfers even when a guy had to sit out a year. They did that frequently. When the grad transfer thing came in, they took advantage of the grad transfer thing. They recruited from overseas, and really that's one of the key ways they built their program. And then once they got established, you started to see them successfully recruit elite high school players yeah. like you know, consecutive years, Jalen Suggs and Chet Holmgren, both top five guys in their classes, not even from the Pacific Northwest. Both those guys are from Minnesota. Yeah, They did it in a number of, with a, with a mix of approaches, they weren't any one thing. And that seems to be what Tommy Lloyd is trying to continue to do now that he's at Arizona. And so far it's working. All right, well, let's go on to our five keys of the game brought to you by Nudge Printing. Nudge Printing is the greatest place to go get your Spartan apparel or other collegiate apparel, whether it's uh, clothing or they've got decals for your wall or for your cornhole. Uh, they also have all kinds of other schools outside of Michigan State. You can check out their product line, which is very vast, at nudgeprinting.com. And you get 20% off as a listener to this show if you type in Final Four, that's just one word, at checkout on the uh, final page. So make sure you check out nudgeprinting.com. Again, super high quality screen printing material. I don't know. I just We love this stuff in our family, and I know that you would too. And it's that time maybe think about gifts. This may be a great way to take care of some of those and get them off your list. So again, that's Nudge Printing at nudgeprinting.com. So the first key of the game is a start. Michigan State's had some trouble starting some games this season. And so this is obviously with a team like Arizona, you know, just like we had talked about Duke, you you can't afford to get in a hole this one because it's really hard to get, it'd be hard to dig your way out of it. Well, what, yeah. And, and what's challenging here is Arizona has looked to be the kind of team that is going to be very aggressive and you run the risk. If you don't match their intensity and their effort and their toughness right from the opening tip, 
you could have a problem. Mm -hmm. So this is not a game that Michigan State can just feel their way into, in my opinion. They need to be ready from the jump to go to war against these guys because that's what I think it's going to be. It's going to be a fast-paced war, but it's going to be a war. And then the second key to the game is the glass. This is a place where Michigan State has definitely shown some improvement over last year and certainly on the offensive side, but they've shown some vulnerabilities on the defensive boards. And as we mentioned before, the description of this game, Arizona is elite on both ends. And so, and so this is a game where you can have a lot of trouble. And you know, I imagine too, with Arizona, with as well as they shoot, if you give a team that shoots really well, extra chances, that's a recipe for disaster. Yeah, exactly. Either way, whether Arizona is shooting the way they have or they're struggling, you can't give up second chances against a team like this. I think it it looks on the surface quite a bit like uh, the Tennessee exhibition did in that regard, except that this team has – Tennessee did not have the kind of post size that Arizona has. I mean, it's ridiculous, right? those two guys. <laughs> that Arizona's running out there. So Michigan State's really got to be capable of terminating possessions at at one and done. And then on the other end, you know, Arizona's been great at stopping you from getting anything going on your offensive glass, but that's something that I think Michigan State needs to do as well. They got to get second chances. Third key to the game is pace mentioned before that Arizona is one of the fastest teams in the country as far as pace. Michigan State traditionally loves to run. So I guess, you know, how is this going to work out for Michigan State and Arizona? What's going to be the strategy here? Well, one thing that could play in Michigan State's favor is, yes, Arizona plays extremely fast, but what we know is one of the few weaknesses they've shown is they haven't been ultra-efficient in terms of valuing the ball. So if Michigan State can win that battle, which is possible, that could be an advantage. You know, um, again, as you noted, it's rare that you go in, Michigan State goes into a game and you think, well, these guys are perfectly happy to play as fast as MSU wants to play. But I think Arizona is. Mm -hmm. They're one of those rare teams. And so it'll be interesting to me to see if Michigan State looks to go full tilt. And if they do, which team has the advantage? Yeah, I was seeing this the other day, totally unrelated, but it makes me think it's, you know, the old Loyola Marymount team when they, with Paul Westhead as a coach, what would Michigan uh -huh. State's approach have been to that sort of a game? <laughs> would they have tried to? Yeah, them? it's, that's an interesting, that's an interesting thing because, you know, Marymount's whole deal was we're fine if you're shredding our pressure a lot. And you're getting a lot of layups and dunks. That's okay. In part because they were they were kind of um, ahead of the curve in terms of the trading twos for threes yeah. thing. So there would be some of that. And also, I think the premise was, was always, look, you may shred us a lot, but we're going to force just enough mistakes out of you and also, you're not used to playing at the pace that we are. Yeah, right. I don't know. I, it would have been, you're, it's a good point. I've never really thought about it. You know, generally speaking, when teams play Michigan State historically that want to up the tempo, they pay for it. They lose. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but 
that one was so extreme that uh it would have been it would have been fascinating yeah. yeah all right so the fourth key to the game is penetration so this is uh this is both on the offensive defensive side and Michigan State's had some shown some struggles with players turning the corner and getting into the lane and then you know we always talk about AJ just needed to go and get to the, get to the paint a little bit more often than he's been doing yeah, I think it really matters at both ends. We'll start Michigan State's defensive end. Arizona is shooting the hell out of the three. They're at 41 point something percent from three. But it's not on huge volume. They are not a mad bomber kind of team. They average about 20 attempts per game from three. So that's that's pretty average, to be honest. Might even be a tick below average. Uh, I think if you look at their identity... Yeah, they'll take threes, but they want, you know, Boswell and Love and Larson. Those guys are all guys that can get the ball into the lane and force a defense to contract, and then that opens up opportunities for others. Um, and I think that's what they want to do. So Michigan State's guards, which we, we've talked about frequently, this has the potential to be an outstanding group defensively. Um. I thought they were very, very good in the first half, particularly the first 10 minutes against Duke. They weren't quite the same level in the second half. Yeah. Uh, this will be, this will be at least as challenging a game in that respect as Duke was. Um, these are guys, you know, there's a five deep backcourt. When you look at Lewis and, and uh, Bradley coming off the bench, and then the three starters, all of whom are very capable. So it's a it's a similar challenge to what Duke presented in a lot of ways. Uh, can Michigan State do a good enough job keeping them away from the rim, out of the lane? At the other end, you said it already, we know that so much of Michigan State's offensive success is predicated on what kind of job A.J. Hogart is doing, getting into the teeth of a defense and finishing himself at the rim, on at least on occasion. Uh, we presume Tyson Walker will be back for this and show no ill effects. I think that's safe. Uh, so they'll have him back. You know, this uh, Jaden Akins is coming off a three for six game from three. So you're hoping he could build on that. And then obviously we saw what Trey Holloman did in the last game. So he should come into this one with some confidence shooting the ball as well. But all of that, is helped. All of those guys are helped when Michigan State, not just AJ, but it starts with him, is getting into the lane and forcing defenses to have to deal with that threat. That's gonna that's gonna provide better shot opportunities for Michigan State from the perimeter as well. Yeah, I feel like in this one of the advantages too for Michigan State over last year is the 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 uh the depth for at the guards position for, you know, with Holloman and fears coming off the bench, you can match pretty much anyone else too, especially as we've seen them progress. You're not going to get a huge drop off, which is what we've mentioned before that, you know, when, when, when uh Hogard leaves, you're losing some, a little bit with fears, but you may be getting something else. And so the, they're definitely not going to be as big a disadvantage when those guys have to leave the floor, maybe foul trouble or something, some other reason they can maybe survive. Well, the the encouraging thing over these these last couple of games, Butler and then Alcorn State, and again, 
you have to yes butler and elkhorn state you're grading on a curve <laughs> you're grading on a curve but jeremy fears played his two best games in terms of doing what he has to do to make those around him better which is penetrate yeah don't be satisfied with just staying on the perimeter look to get into the lane look for your own opportunities and then when you become enough of a threat you can make things happen for others and he's showing signs of of developing in that area. And that's what Michigan State really needs to see. Because if he can do that consistently, the kind of things we've seen in the last two games, then there really is not a whole hell of a lot of drop-off. And final key to the game is post-defense. I already mentioned they've got a 7-footer and a 7-foot, 2-foot uh, reserve, both who are very capable of scoring in the post. Uh, you know, Michigan State faced... Kyle Filiposki from Duke, but he was a little bit different toward, sort of big in uh, the game in the Champions Classic. I feel safe in saying this is the best one-two punch they're going to see this year in the post. Um, Edie is obviously at a different level right. as one individual, but they can rotate these two guys in. And, and really, it's important because, again, Arizona plays so fast, guys the size of these two, that's a that's a hard thing if you're trying to get 26, 27, 28 minutes out of a seven foot, 260 pound body. <laughs> you know, that's just hard. No matter how much conditioning work they put in, et cetera, that takes its toll. And so the fact that they've got two guys that they can mix and match and and just keep somebody fresh always in there is a big advantage. Michigan State is going to have their hands full. Marty, Carson Cooper. This is a big challenge. And and this is this is the kind of game where the kind of physical work those two guys did over the summer, you hope we can say in the aftermath of this, it shows up. They both look the part. Clearly, Carson's case, he's clearly stronger than he was. Madi was already strong. I'm not sure that it's been as obvious the the jump that he may have yeah, taken in terms had of really upper body strength. That, yeah, in the games. But but this is a game where absolutely, you know, you're you're going to be giving up some size. You know, um, these guys are bigger than than our guys are. But are our guys up to the challenge and capable of making it, at least making them work, making it tough? Because, um, you know, Arizona, even though they're a fast team, as we say, they they like to get the ball in the paint either via penetration or post-ups. And when you've got two guys that can play at this level that are both double-digit scorers, and and you know these aren't guys that are out there jacking threes. You know, they're doing most of their damage on the blocks, so it's going to be a test. Yeah, you wonder for Arizona's standpoint, you know, defensively it's going to be a little bit easier assignment because either Cooper or Sissoko are not really huge offensive threats in Michigan State's um, attack. So I wonder if those guys don't have to worry as much about, you know, with the pick and roll hedging and things like that, because there's really no threat of for for anyone else scoring on them. Even maybe Cooper a little bit, but the only problem is, yeah, you don't have to worry about about a pick and pop threat, but you know the real damage if you're shacking, and I haven't I haven't seen it enough to know yet for sure how Arizona will play pick and roll. But the challenge there is particularly if it's someone like Tyson Walker with the ball in his hands, if you're shacking it 
and you get a good pick, well, he's going to get an open look. If you're not up, if you're not, if you're not playing higher, a higher defensive line on pick and roll, uh, that's the potential problem. But you're right; they don't have to worry about pick and pop. This would be a game where, you know, you'd wonder if if Jackson Kohler was available, would Michigan State look to try to challenge that a little bit? It's also one where maybe you think about: Do they try to get some minutes out of Xavier Booker and figure? Well, maybe he can pull these guys away from the rim. Yeah. But he's got to make some shots in order to do that. They're not just going to cover him immediately. And I, I don't think you can you can go small ball. I don't think you can go with a Malik Hall, Cohen Carr combination. I just think you yeah. might get something occasionally offensively as well to doing that, but this team will just pound you on the blocks if you try to go small. So MSU is going to have to play. They're bigs. So they're going to have to hang in there. They're going to have to stay out of foul trouble, and they're going to have to offer stiff resistance. Yeah. You wonder sometimes maybe in the pick and roll if – because if I'm Arizona, I mean, I think you, you're not going to worry about the dive to the basket as much, and so you can risk sort of bringing your, um, bringing your center out to really hedge. But I guess then you run the risk of having him no longer under the basket for blocks and, uh, and rebounds, and so maybe that's – that's the trade-off you've got to decide. Well, Michigan, you, you talk about Michigan State. Def- I'm talking Michigan about Arizona State if they want to, if they want to cover, you know, cover oh. the, you know, like the one thing you don't want is just to have a have say Cooper or Sissoko out there setting screens and then Walker getting you know jumpers because that's that's a disaster waiting to happen. I would assume that Arizona will try to live with having their guards fighting over picks mm-hmm. and avoiding problems that way. But it remains to be seen how successful that is. If if Michigan State, if Michigan State's able to do a, a, a good job running its stuff and getting their guards loose, particularly Tyson Walker, but also AJ to some extent, either an open jumper or just getting a guard isolated on their bigs out high. Uh, either way, that could be that could be an advantage for MSU because you know guys like Walker and Hogard can blow by a, a very, very big defender. Those, those guys would have no chance guarding them individually. Yeah. You know, but I, I think Arizona is going to try to fight through and over some stuff to avoid having to make those, those decisions and, and face those kind of mismatches. But if you're Michigan state, that's what you want. I mean, we've seen them lots of times in the past couple seasons, but especially so far this year, if it were me, man, I would be trying to do as much. Granted, they don't have anybody at Xavier Tillman's level as a screener. But if you think about how Michigan State sometimes with Cassius Winston would go to the well, three, four, five pick and rolls in a possession <laughs> just to try to finally force the mismatch. That's something you absolutely can do with Tyson Walker. Yeah. Very true. And so I hope they have that, that they start displaying that kind of patience. You know, those aren't things that you're going to be able to get tested against Alcorn State. <laughs> it's games yeah. like this where you can maybe start to figure some things out that you can go to down the line. But that would be one thing I'd watch for is do they, do they show some patience in trying to force a mismatch? You don't get it on the first try, go back at it again. Yeah. Well, it should be a, a fun game to watch. It's, like I said, it 
follows the Lions game. They're being very careful about when they schedule the game very smartly <laughs> after the, the Lions Thanksgiving game. Uh, and then, uh, you know, the implications obviously for this game, it, it, these are those games that you don't need, but they're nice to have if you can get them, uh, if you can get pull out a win here. It certainly makes you feel a little bit better about things. The Big Ten has been struggling, as we mentioned last show. And so the opportunities for quality wins in the conference might be a little bit less than usual. And, you know, if something weird happens and you lose a couple of games, the, the conference, you might you might find yourself a little sweating a little bit. You know, I mean, it, it's not out of the realm of possibilities that could happen. So if you were to pull a game like this out, uh, it certainly makes things a lot. You'd be a lot more comfortable come selection Sunday. You would you would like to have a quality non-conference winner too, and they basically got they've got two opportunities for that. They've got this game left. They've got this one, and then they've got Baylor. Yep. And so you want, I would say, optimally. Well, optimally, you'd like them both. <laughs> yeah, well, obviously, but you'd really you'd fe- you'd feel okay if you get one. You know, that would put them. One of those two games would be enough to say, all right, you know, we're, we're in decent shape going into, going into big 10 play, um, in terms of seeding, et cetera. Uh, this is going to be a challenge. I mean, this, I think Arizona, there's so many new faces, you know, what do we say? There's three freshmen in that top 10 man playing group. We may or not see all, we may not see all of them, but three freshmen, you got a sophomore, who played but didn't play a huge role last year. Now he's starting. You've added three transfers. It was, I think people felt like, all right, there's a good mix of talent. Tommy Lloyd's shown to be able to do a good job with assembling a roster with a lot of new faces already as a head coach. But I don't think people expected to see what we saw in that game against Duke. Now, again, the one caveat is, that's the only real test they've played thus far. Michigan State played a team in James Madison that's better than anybody other than Duke that Arizona's played. They played Butler, which is not a great team, but it's a high major opponent. Mm-hmm. And then they played Duke. So Michigan State seen plus Michigan State played Tennessee in an exhibition. Arizona played two tomato can exhibitions. So Arizona really has only faced legitimate opponents once thus far. Um, so I don't think we can yet. So I think, I think there's a lot of reason to suspect. Yes, they are totally for real. Um, but this game is important for them in kind of offering another data point toward that, toward that premise, supporting that premise. Um, they haven't had that kind of opponent yet. So it's interesting for them from that perspective. Uh, but I, I, you know, it's a, obviously it's an opportunity for Michigan state to show what they've learned since the Duke loss and to keep building, keep progressing. And I, you know, I, I, I look at this the same way I look at almost any game in November. If Michigan state plays well, and they lose, that's okay. Yeah. I just want them to play well. And that's how I look at this game. I want them to play well. And if that means they lose, you know, 91 to 87, and it's a game there for the taking in the last couple of minutes and it just doesn't work out, 
but they do a lot of good things. And Arizona has to play well to beat them. Okay. It's November. That's all right. What you don't want is obviously you don't want a poor showing. So that's, that's how I'm evaluating this, but a win would be great. Yeah. Let's not kid ourselves. Right. Keep nourishing those green, green shoots. Right. Uh, Right. All right. Well, I think that's the biggest thing. Just keep showing development. All right. Well, why don't we wrap it up there? We'll see everybody after Thanksgiving. Hopefully you all have a wonderful Thanksgiving. You have safe travels wherever you're going. Uh, Fill yourself up with turkey. Hopefully get a nice Lions victory. Nice, safe first place in the NFC North. And then we can sit back and enjoy the Spartans, hopefully, beat the Wildcats out in Palm Springs. So until next time, the final four is on the schedule. Go Green.